0: To him, you're Americans. You're military. We're not running scared. Get those uniforms back on, and we supported the President of the United States, and we were damn proud to be wearing the uniform. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. The moral of the story is take your 10-year-old son to loose. This is not a race. This is war.
1: Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we've got former Air Force One pilot, Colonel Mark Tillman, as he shares his untold story of flying the president on 9-11, deciphering information in the fog of war, and bringing the commander-in-chief... To ground zero. So I'm excited that we have Colonel Tillman on today. One thing, if there, you ever want a group of jaded people when it comes to speakers, you should go to a speakers bureau. Because we've heard everything and you just hear it all day long and everybody's pitching stories. The first time that Colonel Tillman came in, we had everybody in to hear him speak. And this has never happened before. So he was in later that afternoon to give his presentation again to a completely different group. A bunch of people snuck in to hear his story. So if you ever wanted a testimonial, it's that people who who are so tired of hearing speakers go in to hear somebody the same day a second time. So I just love the story. I love kind of the suspense of it. I love... How Texas always finds this way. I'm not a Texas guy. We have a bunch of Texas people that work here. How Texas managed to figure out a way to get into this story, too, even though everything took place in Washington and D.C. and everything else. And just kind of the courage that he talks about of the different people that stepped up during a really tragic time in our history. So without further ado, here is Colonel Tillman and the story of Air Force One on 9-11.
0: You know, on September 11th, the whole the, – September 10th, we left Washington, D.C. to do an educational visit to Jacksonville, then moved on to Sarasota, Florida that afternoon on September 10th. September 11th, we all got up and uh, went out to the plane, but the president was already at the uh, elementary school talking with the students. No knowledge whatsoever of what was about to happen. You know, a lot of news media said the president had to have known. You know, I can say for a fact that there was no idea what we were about to encounter. So the the crew did what it always did. We showed up two to three hours prior, got the plane ready. But the moment when I arrived, the uh, basically things had started already occurring in the country. So the planes were being hijacked at this point from the East Coast. They were flying, moving into position. We were just about to get the plane ready to go. And as I walk on the plane, as I start going up the steps, one of the radio operator calls over the PA system, and it's uh, Colonel Tillman, pick up a white phone. And uh, white phones, beige phones on the aircraft, white phones being uh, non-classified, beige phones classified. I pick up the white phone, radio operator tells me to come upstairs and see what's going on. And as I go up, I can see on the televisions that the radio operators have upstairs that the first tower has now been struck by the first aircraft in New York City. Um, At this time, Air Force One did not have any kind of uh, satellite television. So it was all tuners. So we were picking up the local news stations in Sarasota, Florida. The NBC Today show had pictures of a plane hitting the tower. And as they kept talking, they kept saying, you know, we have no idea – what has happened here. They assumed it was an aircraft that had basically made a mistake and hit the tower because it was clearing a million. It was a beautiful day in New York. Um, But they kept going on talking about it, saying that they're not sure what's going to happen. It was way high up in the first tower. You know, and there's first responders are starting to move into position. So at that point, I let the radio operator and our navigator know, hey, it's obviously been loss of life in New York. Plan a trip to New York. We'll be probably leaving tomorrow or the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, there was no um, no knowledge of what was occurring or what was about to occur. All the classified phones, radios, everything Everything was just status quo. It was reported to the president and to the staff that it was a basically a small aircraft that hit the tower, um, and that was the end of it. So I go back downstairs, finish talking with the rest of the crew, making sure the plane's ready, and then the radio operator tells me to pick up a beige phone classified. So I pick up the phone. Sure enough, radio operator tells me to come back upstairs immediately. And as I go back up, second plane now is at the second tower. Now we're getting more information as to what the uh, air traffic controllers are dealing with along the East Coast. At the same time, we're getting told, yeah, we're going to have to relocate the president.
1: Once you've hit that point, are you kind of what's your internal
0: threat level? Obviously, you've got things going on, but how worried are you with your position? You know, that, that was the big challenge for us. We, we had no idea what was going on, but we knew we had the president of the United States with us. Uh, Vice president had been moved and hunkered down in a, a secure location. First lady had been moved from Capitol Hill and moved into a secure location. Um, the daughters, uh, Barbara and Jenna, had been moved as well. So everybody's moving into position knowing that there's a potential of us being a target as well. So the um, we've confirmed the president's still at the elementary school, but we're being told that the president's going to be finishing up and he's going to be moving to us uh, rather quickly. Um, at that point, the goal was to move Air Force One because we were sitting duck, just sitting on the tarmac there. We always have a backup aircraft. So the backup aircraft was hustling to us. The plan was we would take off, the backup would land, and we'd keep doing a shell game until the president was ready to come to us. As soon as I presented that to the Secret Service, the service came back and said, no, we're going to come to you right away. We are moving right now. The president's addressing the... Uh, elementary school students and teachers, and he's addressing the nation, and then we're coming to you fast. And that's exactly what they did at that point, loaded up the limos and came to us uh, rather quickly from the elementary school.
1: Now, do you have a particular plan in place? Like, do you have scenarios played out and this is what happens then? And, and, And how did that kind of play into it?
0: Yeah, everything's based on attacking the United States from outside of the United States. This scenario was an attack from within the United States. So you had no idea what was the Attack. Uh, I mean, when you when people are going to you know shoot missiles at the country, you know what's going on, and you you get enough information to make it happen. This we thought was you know, airliners have been hijacked. Initially, we were told there were more than four, um, so we're we're trying to figure out exactly where they're at, and then slowly it started coming into well, there's a plane overhead you um, in Tampa. And its transponder is off. It's not talking to anyone. So we assumed that was the, the aircraft that would be coming to attack us. So we started to move out of that position as quick as possible. So we are hoping the president would continue to move to us, and we're getting information on the airliner above us. So. But at this point, the airliners that have hit the Towers had hit their target, and then as the president's moving to us, an airliner hits the Pentagon. Now, we're being told by our command authority through the Secret Service and others that the plane that hit the Pentagon, it wasn't a plane. We were being told that there's a truck bomb that hit the Pentagon, uh, kind of the fog of war, that car bombs are going off within the mall area, the Capitol area. So it, it just—it was kind of confusing as to what was going on, but no one ever saw an airliner hit the Pentagon. So it wasn't until shortly after that the air traffic control got involved and everyone said, no, it was, an, it was an airliner. But as the president's coming to us, we get that information. So now we're getting ready to move the president president. president as quick as we can and get him out of uh, Sarasota, Florida. Now, the president did not want to get hunkered down. The goal for continuity of government is to put the president some location where he's safe, vice president, same thing, speaker of the house, et cetera, as you you learned as a kid. Well, the speaker of the house, we couldn't get in touch with um, mainly because it's like it is today. You know, Cell phone coverage was limited. It became saturated in the Washington DC area. Also the Hill members of the Hill, everybody was moving into a safe location because they were being told that other airliner now would be coming back and its target was the Capitol. so we were trying to get a hold of a lot of people communications kind of let the president down at that point but the president came to us and president on en route from the elementary school made the decision he is not going to hunker down you know I joke about this to, to this day that you know we have the decision tree to make things happen well on the decision tree it should have a little asterisk that says is your president from the state of Texas and, you know <laughs> if he is then you skip all the decision trees and you go, he's going to get into the thick of things. And that's what President Bush did. He countermanded all the orders said he was heading back to Washington, D.C. So everything changed at that point. And once he arrived at the plane, that's where we started heading back to Washington, D.C. Now, what, take us through kind of the next steps that you get there. Obviously, he gets on very quickly. You check everybody coming on, and then and then you take off, and, and then what happens? You know, once he got on, the right side was running the two engines on the right. Then as moments as he's hitting the stairs, the left side, we start bringing it up as soon as he's up on the aircraft. And we start taxiing out. And then at that point, the Secret Service is telling us there's a guy at the end of the runway with a long gun. And could we go taxi, not by him, but taxi opposite direction and take off uh, with him? Um, moderate tailwind i guess but which was no problem we climbed out really steep um overflew the individual and as it turned out it wasn't a threat they it was a gentleman that arrived at the last second um with his children who was going to film the departure of air force one so (laughs) it was just a bad day to be arriving at the last second so we we climbed out and started heading to washington dc and it's that point where uh Jacksonville Center is advising us that a plane above us is descending into us. Do we have them in sight? And that was the airliner that we were told was uh, you know, coming for us. Um, as it turns out, it was not. It was an airliner that had lost its transponder. It was not talking to anybody because they were actually talking to their company, and the company was telling them to lock their doors, get secure, because planes are being hijacked. Unfortunately, at that time, their planes just happened to be following our flight path. So that was, that was unfortunate at that point. But it, it, it all turned out fine at that point. Um, the vice president started talking with us uh, right from the beginning. He had a secure line to the vice president. We started losing communications rather quickly, mainly because we had a lot of civilian satellite capability that became saturated by the airliners and other people that uh, needed civilian uh, satellite capability, MRSAT, etc. Um, lesson learned from us was we thought we had priority. Uh, we did not. And today we do, but uh, then we did not, so we lost a lot of phone capability. Uh, but the president was linked in to the vice president the entire time, vice president passing the president, all kinds of information as he he's getting it um and then president bush making amazing decisions as to what to do so it you know the in the recap was we're heading to washington vice president telling him what to do and then the vice president injected that angel is next which was the classified call sign of air force one that someone had called in and said angel was the next target mm-hmm. so at that point we started asking for fighter support and uh, a wax radar plane overhead Yeah, because there's no way someone could know that or it'd be no that was high-wise. our that was our understanding and, and as it turns out in hindsight, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but it was just a, once again, fog of war, miscommunication. Someone asked the status of Angel versus Angel was the next target. It was the next target in their flow, but it wasn't a terrorist target as such. So, but that's not what we got told, and that's not what the vice president believed either. So, so we started going away from Washington, D.C. initially. And then we learned that the last aircraft over the Shannon, no, sorry, over the uh, basically out to the uh, western Ohio was making its turn and was going to start working its way back towards Washington, D.C. The last airliner had been hijacked. So vice president asked for shoot-down authority of the aircraft because fighters are moving into position. The president gives the vice president shoot-down authority. And at that point, you know, the up in the cockpit of Air Force One, you've got the cockpit, you've got a small crew uh, Area and then you got the radio area. Well, all the the radios had everything on speaker so that the senior staff and everyone could listen up there. So we could hear what's going on. And when the president gave the down authority to a, an American aircraft that had Americans on board, you know, it was really sad because you kept thinking about, okay, if they continue on towards Washington D.C., we're gonna we're gonna kill hundreds of Americans. You know, maybe 120 to save thousands in Washington D.C. But but then again, we're still gonna kill. Americans, So, um, you know, as the plane's starting to head toward Washington, D.C., we make the turn away at this point because we know that plane, if it does hit Washington, it's going to be considerable uh, issues in Washington, not where the president should be. So we turn away, head towards the northern part of Florida. Um, and then we are told, the FAA advises that the plane has gone off radar, the plane, the hijacked airliner. Um which was sad for us because we all assumed at that point to include the president that uh, basically had been shot down. Um, Then moments later, we get a a recap from the fighters telling us no, had not been shot down, that they actually, they could see on the ground where the plane had crashed, but there was no sign of survivors. In fact, they were telling us there's no sign of even the aircraft. Um, At that point, everything changed. Airliners are down now, as far as we know. Um, The city's in turmoil um, Washington, because everyone's running because they think, you know, they're moving out of the White House, they're moving out of the Capitol. New York City's been attacked twice now. First responders are moving into position. Everything is set. You know, and at this point, the the tower starts – the tower comes down, the first tower. Um, and all of us, we just couldn't believe it because we were, we were thinking the first responders are saving lives and, you know, everything's set. There's going to be a way we're going to get to New York. And then when the first tower went down – it was, it was incredible. We just couldn't understand how that could have possibly happened. And then, as as it continued on, the vice president and the president are talking, and then the second tower comes down. And then everyone is just, oh my God! You know what a what a successful plan of attack these people have done, and they caught us with our pants down. And at that point, the president makes the decision. I need to get to a position where I can address the American public. Now, on the plane, we didn't have the capability to stream video. All we had was the president could talk to the American public, but they couldn't see him. Um, so we had to land somewhere. So we chose Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. We came in to land, the president addressed the nation, and then when the president left, we, our decision was with Andy Card, Andy Card made the decision, we still need to move him around because Washington isn't safe to go back to. So the goal was to put him at a base where he could actually be deep underground in case there's other threats. Tremendous communications, So Offutt Air Force Base was chosen in Nebraska. And he stayed, the president stayed there minimum time because he was ready to head back. And then he came back to us, and once he got on board the aircraft, it was you know Tillman, let's let's get home now. And we we came flying back to uh, uh, Andrews Air Force Base extremely fast, as fast as the plane could go. Fighter escorts coming up on us, uh, you know, basically fighters from the President's Guard Unit in Houston Ellington were there available to us, and they they yeah, jumped I liked us. I like how they
1: were uh, surprising. Surprising guess for you.
0: They were, uh, you know, what was incredible about the Houston Ellington Guard Unit was the fact that while we're in the Gulf of Mexico, Houston Center advises us that we have fast movers coming up on us, and uh, you know we'd asked for fighter support, but we had not been told we had been given it yet. So the Houston Ellington, the President Bush's Guard Unit, they basically launched and they came up to us, and so the Houston Center is advising us. You know, Air Force One, you have fast movers at your seven o'clock behind your left. You know how fast are they? They appear to be supersonic. They're coming up on you. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, all right, well, we haven't really asked for these guys, but, you know, this is, this is nice. They join up on us and then they protect us for the rest of the day. So you couldn't have written history any better, the President's Guard unit protecting you. Um, but as soon as we left uh, Nebraska, they basically led us across the country. And then as we came close to Washington, D.C., um, Andrews Air Force Base launched two F-16s to fly on our wing a couple of F-15s from Langley Air Force Base joined up on us as well. So it was kind of a big furball of planes over the Shenandoah Valley. But in the end, it worked perfect. The F-16s from the guard unit in Houston-Ellington let us in. The F-16s from Andrews Air Force Base uh, joined up on our wing, got extremely close. But it was neat. The president and the staff were downstairs looking out the window. And that was kind of the morale builder we needed at that point. You know, we'd been running, decoying all day long, and now we're being protected that we've got armed F-16s on our wing. They're ready to protect the president as he comes into Washington, D.C. Um, and that's what we did. We came on in, came over the top of the Pentagon. It was still smoldering. Uh, and then came and landed Andrews Air Force Base. The president got off all business. He had been. He's ready to talk with the American people that night. Marine One was there. Marine One then took him on an extreme low level around the city to get him back to the White House so that no one would know. You know the challenge for us was we were told multiple threats in the Washington D.C. area, so you know self-defense was up and running. Everything was fine. decoying with different planes, F-16s um, on the wing, you know providing you know suppression as we're coming in, you know ready to launch flares or whatever they need to do. But everything was made up and everything happened right away. It was just incredible what the military provided, provided the president, and and they to this day. I mean that was President Bush would always say that is, you know they. They don't need to be trained to prep for the the United States they train and prep for each other brothers and sisters to take care of each other and the protection is is just incredible what they do
1: what happened two days later I know you were you were flying to New York kind of kind of give us a, a snapshot of that story too
0: yeah, the president, uh, two days later, went to Ground Zero. And uh, so to get to Ground Zero, there were still threats, is what was perceived. So we flew the president into McGuire Air Force Base, and he helicoptered into uh, you know, basically Ground Zero, the Wall Street landing zone, and went up there. You know, We sat in the plane, and we watched on television the president standing on Ground Zero, standing on the fire truck, talking to all the uh, first responders. And the first responders, you know, just yelling, you know, George, you know, we can't hear you. And all that. But it was just so neat because the president was right there to help and he, he had no planned speech, but he made everything happen. So when they were yelling to him, you know, we can't hear you and all that, you know, and then he came out with that famous line, you know, we, you know, I can hear you and the American people and, you know, and those who did this damage will hear us soon. And, I, you know, it was just neat. It just brought everybody together. And from that moment on, that's what we did everywhere we went around the world was President Bush let people know that, you know, you may have a... Attacked us, but you—you you didn't get us down. You, we're not down. We're—we're we're back up. We're ready, and we're—and we're ready to make things happen to protect Americans. And you know, and right after that uh, trip, we brought the president back into Camp David, and we brought him all kinds of different places. You know, and weeks later, we were told, you know, there were threats against Air Force One because the new Air Force One movie had come out. So, you know, I asked all of our people at Air Force One, you know, to wear civilian clothes from now on because, you know, the Air Force One movie that came out at that time was showing what we did and it talked about the different things that we did, you know, a timeline so they could easily come in and infiltrate us and attack us. So we said, all right, we'll just change uniforms. Well, when President Bush found out about that, that was that was not right. To him, you're Americans, your military, we're not running scared. Get those uniforms back on. We are very proud of who we are, what we're doing. And it was the best thing I ever heard, because that was you know, Air Force One. We went back in uniform, and we supported the President of the United States, and we were damn proud to be wearing the uniform. So it was great. It was a, it was a good feeling. And President Bush made it happen. He, he took care of all of us.
1: Thanks again to Colonel Mark Tillman, and thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and to learn more about Colonel Mark Tillman and others, go to premierspeakers.com. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D& Associates thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO, Sean Hanks, and CIO, Chris Young, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do. So why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast?